This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing. If you or a loved one need mental health assistance or are experiencing a mental health crisis, call Lifeline 24-7 on 13 11 14. Hey friends, producer Josh here. Just a quick note, today is part one of a very powerful conversation that Nadia and Bernie had with the incredible Christy Jacker. Part two will be out later in the week. If you find today's episode valuable, please share it with someone that you care about. Take it away, Nadia. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of FYI, All Things Mental Wellness. Our guest this week is one of the most courageous women I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. A bubbly, positive woman whose mottos in life are attitude is a choice and there is someone always worse off. An ironic motto to live by as this woman become a widow at just 33 years of age, faced with raising a daughter without the support of her loving husband. Hard to believe there's much worse off than that. Entering her prime years, planning life goals with her husband and child, her world came crashing down when her husband died of a rare cancer in 2017. There's so much I'd like to tell you about her, like her excellence awards in teaching, winning Aubrey Woman of the Year, her love for educating young children, her love of coffee, the mighty Rutherglen Cats and her amazing work into Seabag and Sea Plan. But I'd rather you hear it from her. Christy Jacker, welcome to FYI. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. That was quite an introduction. Yeah. Oh, it's always nice to give a bit of an overview. But to be honest, as we were chatting off air, I I was a little bit overwhelmed with an intro. Normally I like lots of information, but I think I I gathered too much information. (laughs) So I thought, nah, that'll do. And that's why we're here to have a chat to you, of course. It's always weird though when someone's Telling you about yourself, isn't it? it? Is. Yeah, you know, it's because um, we walk around and we have a, a feeling of who we are and what we are, and then when someone drills down and looks at you in the eye and tells you all about yourself, you go, mm. "I know, I'm yeah. so oh, used is to Is that being, me? Oh, um, I talk about everyone else. I tell everyone else how to do things. <laughs> well, I do as a teacher. I'm so used to being Mrs. Jacker, and absolutely, you know, you um, forget that there's so many other aspects of your life, and you know, when you hear it, you're like, "Oh, all right." Cool. Yeah, that's pretty that's cool. Yeah. And over a period of time where you build up and you do things, you don't think about that, do you? No. You just no. You, you plough through. They're the yeah, things that you're yeah. doing in your life. You know, yeah, okay, they're momentous occasions, and then you move on to the next one. It's only when someone sits down and writes them and racks them all up, you go, wow, well done. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. sometimes you forget what you've done. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And is that because you're positive? I think so. And I, I think that that's just part of me. I... um. I often, I get called uh, Mrs. Glitter at school, Mrs. Sparkles, because I just, yeah, I love, yeah, and the boots. I'm just pointing at her <laughs> boots and obviously you can't see us, but she has the most gorgeous leopard print boots on. Um, they're not sparkly, but they sparkle. <laughs> oh, they sparkle in their own right, that's yeah. for sure. But I think 
that's just me. I've always been that way. I've been a positive kid when I was growing up. And, you know, as as a teenager, I had some pretty big stuff that I had to deal with in regards to I had a, a massive spinal uh, operation when I was 16 where they didn't know if I'd be able to walk or if I'd be able to play sport again um, or if I'd drive and that sort of stuff and, you know, and, or even have children, which at the time at 16, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, but yeah. Um, no, I was determined. Like I was meant to be in hospital for two weeks and ended up only staying a week because I got up and I walked and I did all those things because it's just in my nature to yeah. to do that. And I just, I think there's so much things that you can be positive and happy about, like your life. It's amazing. Mm, and, absolutely. You know, we're very fortunate and we live in Australia, so even more fortunate than most people. Christy, I guess, I mean, you and I know why you're here, but quite a few people have actually reached out to Bernie and myself and Josh, our producer, and have just asked the question, you know, are we having someone on um, to talk about grief and, and dealing with grief? And unfortunately, you've, you've you know, been... Yeah, I've Smacked in the eyes with it. Yeah, absolutely. But so, it's, I'm really pleased that I can do this because I I searched high and low for help and support and what do you do with grief and how do you deal with it and if you look in the bookshop gosh that's a really skinny section of the of the mm. books that you go there and you know unfortunately it's just not, people don't want to talk about it it's mm. hard they well it's interesting because we naturally we're fixers we yeah. like to fix things for people and the hard thing is when when you are grieving you can't take that away. There's nothing you can do in the, in that period of time to help somebody. Yeah. I mean, a cuddle helps and a, and a chat helps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But then when you walk away, the darkness is back again and you just got to be in it and try to find a way through. Yeah, yeah. And that darkness often, it's at nine o'clock at night when the kids are gone to sleep and you're there by yourself. Mm, and, and all the distractions are gone. Yeah, yeah. So it's a... It's a hard thing. It's not something that you would ever wish on your worst enemy, but it's something that needs to be talked about. It's okay to talk about grief. It's okay to be open about grieving and it's okay to ask someone who is grieving to talk to them about that because in my experience, it's often either they look at you with this look of, oh, oh, that poor girl, which... You know, I know I did that myself to people that I knew who had had loved ones pass away and I think, oh, God, that must be so hard. And then you, you don't want to talk about it to them because you don't want to make them upset. But as someone who's gone through it, you do want to talk about your loved ones. And um, So was that hard, Christy? Was that hard noticing some that didn't know how to approach you so they avoided? Yeah, it was really hard. I... Um, found that when, and Carl's cancer and Carl's journey was exceptionally public and it went that way by choice in the end. We tried to keep Carl's diagnosis really quiet. However, within six days, Carl knew everyone and mm. he was a, a sharer. He was a very open book, particularly with his his team, his football team. So, the, uh, the mighty Rutherglen cats, and if you haven't heard about them, you should get on board because <laughs> they are without Plug a doubt oh, forever eternally grateful for that club and um, and Barrow Football Club as well because that's our home club. Those people are amazing, absolutely amazing. Mm. But 
We, I can tell you the date that Carl got diagnosed and the world changed forever. And I think that's where I started my grieving process was the, the 1st of July of 2016. And that was a Friday night. And the very next day was Saturday. So it was football. We had to go to football. There was no shadow of a doubt. Like, oh, I didn't want to go. I was like, who cares? Like, mm. it's football. We've got bigger things to deal with. And Carl's like, no, I've got to win a game. Like, we've got this. We've got finals. Like, seriously, pull your head in. And I'm like, oh, God's sake, man. Like, we've just found out you've got cancer and they and it's secondary. We don't even know where your primary is. Like, you are full of it. And he was like, no, nah, we're, we're going to footy. Like, this is what we do. And I'm like, oh, righto, get on board. Wow. So, we, so his coping mechanism was to, to focus on something else initially. Yeah, because we didn't know what was going on, because we still had appointments the following week to, to find out more mm. things. And it was a rapid movement from Friday through to what happened. His was to, we've got things to do. Like, I can't let down the team. And unfortunately for Rutherglen, we had only just buried our A-grade netballer, Jess. She had had a massive car accident four weeks prior. So, and Carl was instrumental in leading that club through that. Absolutely. I couldn't be more proud of my husband in the way that he led that football club through a massive grieving process. Like what he did, he got counsellors in, he made sure all of his boys were well supported and well protected. He made sure the netballers were just enveloped in support and love and how can he help? And, you know, to then get this four weeks later was just keep kicking. The, like mm. we're down, just keep on kicking us. How can we ever? But that man's amazing and he brought everybody in our club. So our club was a very close club anyway. But I remember going to netball on Saturday and one of the girls said to me, what's wrong? And I had this um, hairband on my on my hand and I was just, I didn't realise at the time, but it was a coping Nervously mechanism. flicking it. Yep, nervously flicking it going, I could not care less what's going on in the court at the moment. Oh, for God's sake, get the freaking ball in the ring. And I was like, God, I'm getting so frustrated today, obviously processing, mm. flicking this band. And she's what's wrong? And I just looked at her and she's like, oh, my God, something's really wrong. So I can't talk to you, can't talk to you. And she's like, all right, radio. And then later that night, Carl got every single person in our club and he said, radio, I want the other team, we all do a drink. Like, And it was big on him for social with the other club. Like, you get them in, you all have a drink, you buy them a beer, good camaraderie, whether we won, lost, draw, mm -hmm. we had a punch on, whatever, you always are social with the other team. So no problem. He did that. He was really insistent and I knew what he was doing. Um, but the rest of the club were all like, God, he's, God, he's on tonight. He's, like, he's, he's yeah. really on. And I'm like, mm-hmm, yep, on. Just do what he says, for God's sake. <laughs> anyway, so he did that. And then he said to the other team, look, thanks for coming. I don't want to be rude, but I really need to talk to my club. So could you get possibly, out. you know, get going? <laughs> get going. Um, and they were great. They, you know, yeah. no problem. They got on their bike and off they went. And I remember him going up to the doors to, to go out and he shut the doors and he went to the microphone. He said, I want everyone to come in. I've got something to tell you. And I'm like, up the back. And I was up the back because I was like, well, no, I'm not going up front with you. Because mm. I would just, I was mm. already tearing. The girls are all looking at me going, the hell oh. is going on? And I was just in awe of him because he was like, all right, guys, this is it. 
got to tell you something, I have to be honest. And I didn't realise he'd already told his boys. So he locked them in the club room and told them. So they would all come out and I'd seen them all a bit edgy and that sort of stuff. And the, but the supporters were all there as well. And he said to him, I've got to tell you something. You're all going to listen and this is what we're going to do. And I was like, oh, he's got a plan. Yeah, righto. Righto, here we go. And not unusual, Carl always had a plan, particularly football, an exceptionally passionate football man, so intelligent, not a great player, <laughs> um, but you know, very lippy on the field. Like, <laughs> you know, everyone. That's a talent. It's a, oh, <laughs> do you know what? That was his superpower. Was his <laughs> absolute superpower of being so artist, like articulate and Great on the old dig, like, <laughs> you want a spray? Who was it? <laughs> he was the man. So he brought them in and he said, look, I'm going to tell you splat out. This is what I know. I've got cancer. It's secondary. And we're not sure what's going to happen, but we'll find out on Wednesday. And then we're going from there. And they're all like, all right, let's do this. Silence in the room? Complete. Complete. You could hear a pin. Mm-hmm. You could hear a pin drop. And then you'd hear me yeah. <laughs> up the back there. Um, and so he did that. And that was the start of the, the grief. And it was grief with everyone. So everyone was grieving because we knew. And was that a good thing that you travelled a journey with so many people from, from the beginning? Yeah. And it wasn't hidden away for a while? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we tried, like I said, we tried, but he knew too many people and he was too, the football club was our family. Even though, you know, he had me and Luce and we were always, no doubt, we were always number one. Some days we felt like we were number five, <laughs> um, but there was never a doubt. We were always number one. But these people were his family. So we started with them and then it got to a point where everybody, so we all knew and then that sort of grew out. And so we ended up creating a Facebook page called Team Jacker and it's still going now and every now and then I, I post on it. But it was mainly so lessen the burden on, on us and we would let people know what was going on. Instead of a thousand questions for a thousand, thousand different questions, people. A thousand phone calls. Like his phone went flat out anyway, but that would be normal for a football season because he would be on yeah, it all course. the time. Yeah. But we shared, we openly shared our grief. We openly spoke about via that page where we we're up to, what we were doing. And for me, it was a really good process. It was enabling me to put those feelings out there. It was enabling me to let people know what was going on and be okay with people talking about it because, you know, people don't want to talk. They don't want to talk about cancer. They want to, don't want to talk about when you've got secondary cancer and you're full of it. Like everybody knew where we were going. Like we we fought a hard battle, but, you know, we were essentially in palliative care from the very start. We didn't realise, but we were essentially in palliative the whole time. So... Sharing and being open with people allowed that conversation, but as it progressed, the the grief would change. So for us, it was we'd do another treatment and you get another result, and we'd get a small win, and we'd be like, "Yes, oh, yeah, small yep. win, we've got this. Let's collect a few more small wins because you collect enough small wins, and you get a big win." Mm-hmm. And we're like, "Yeah, we're 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 looking for that big win," and then we get a, another test result, and they'd be like. It's it's not working, guys. And it'd be like, far out, okay. What's the next plan? What are we going to do now? That sort of stuff. So your grief would often change because you go on this emotional roller coaster. Sure. Of, yep, things are good. Yeah, we're making progress. No, they're not. Okay. And you look at him and you'd be like, 
And Carl was in a good paddock uh, before he was diagnosed. So, you know, he'd been eating the juicy grass and, you know, he was, if I took him to market, I would have got a good price. (laughs) Um, And gradually he lost a lot of weight and that was not what he wanted. He didn't want to go out. That was the first thing I remember him telling me after he told me he had cancer. He was like, I don't want to go out. I don't want to go out as that skinny guy stuck in his bed. And that's exactly how he went out. Um, and you've no control over that. No. That, that is what the cancer will do. That's what cancer does. That's what particular um, mixes of chemo will do. Some yep. chemo you blow up. Well, at the end of the day, you're fighting cancer with poison. Yeah, you are. And your body has to try to deal with that in some way. And, yeah. and clearly that's, you know, it's destroying. Oh, and totally. It, and it either, it either helps you win yeah. or, or it doesn't. Do you know, funny thing you say about that is that after Carl passed, part of the grief was like, did we do the right thing? Should we have ever done chemo? You know, because every day, after, as soon as he had chemo, he was sick every single day. Like, mm-hmm. he would vomit. He would have terrible side effects. And stomach cramps and all that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Headaches, nausea. He, because he had, it was within his bowels well, you know, there was terrible side effects mm-hmm. on his system. You know, he is particular, you can never unsmell chemo vomit. You yeah, just can okay. never unsmell. It's a, that's a weird smell. You can never unsmell it. But he, you just, you know, he was sick every day, every day of his life for the rest of his life, which, you know, did we make the right choice? Yeah. And are we, are we talking a couple of year battle or? No, we talked. Exactly from the day he was diagnosed to the day he passed, exactly seven months. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's intense. Very full on. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, we had a loose at the time. So he was diagnosed. Loose was six. Yeah. And that was hard. That was really hard. To try to walk her through the process. Yeah. Because I suppose you wanted to protect her to a huge degree that oh. not to see dad. Yeah falling apart as it was and you yeah. trying to battle with that struggle as well. Yeah, absolutely. She was six and she's an amazing <laughs> young girl, you know. She's literally six yeah. going on twenty six. Absolutely. Yeah. We had the pleasure of meeting Lucy yeah, we a few did. weeks back and Yeah. I'd I'd love to get her on an episode. She would love like I don't is, think you wouldn't shut her up. Oh God, oh, no! <laughs> she is But a, she's grown through that process clearly too. Absolutely. With you. She's amazing and I don't think I would be in the same position without her. Yeah. She has been a huge part of my grief, mm-hmm. huge part, because I look at everyone and grief is so individualised. Like I am absolutely not going to say that this is the way to grieve because sure. no way can you do that. And you can only grieve your own way. I've learnt that. You can definitely – people do it in their own ways and there's nothing wrong with that, absolutely nothing wrong. But – Loose, she being six at the time and she's 11 now, she still needed to be fed and watered. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was the best thing ever. So you had two purposes. Absolutely. One to keep her alive. alive. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, that, and that was as basic as it come, to keep her alive. And yourself. Yeah. And help Carl along his journey as well. Yeah. Yeah. So. Which you were trying to keep him alive. I was keeping him alive as much as I could. And you sure you're not a nurse? No, no, not a nurse. I tried to be a nurse and I got in trouble off my sister, who is a nurse, because I would often, she would want, and she lives in Melbourne, so mm-hmm. she would want the update every day. What are we doing? What's he on? And All I'd, the detail. Yeah, everything, inside and out. And I would tell her, I'd go, oh, he's on this. And she'd be like, 
Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what it is. She goes, can you just spell that for me? Mm-hmm. And I'd spell it. She goes, oh, God, you call yourself a teacher? And I'm like, what? <laughs> and she's like, that is not the drug you just told me. Because they're so bizarre. Uh, they the are. And, and not, you know, she's obviously done nothing wrong. She's supporting oh, no. you massively totally. along the way. Yep. But it is hard. And my dad went through a cancer journey as well and, yep. and lost his battle. And, and I've watched a couple of mates do the same thing. And the names of the drugs and so much information comes in. Yep. And I'm, I'm, I live far enough away from mum and dad that where I was doing the phone updates as well. Yeah. Now, I don't know the drugs names and I never even you know, began to start to know. But there was that much information that I don't think mum even knew what, you know, was, what was happening oh, at the time. It's overwhelming. It's How can you? so much. And you're in, mm. in grief or just shock damage control is yeah. what you're in so to suck all that information in and then spit it out to somebody who knows what it's <laughs> meant to sound like yeah oh wow so carl's first uh oncology appointment i actually passed out in because i had take it was like literally the moment i found it got cancer i just stopped breathing i just held my breath and we got in there and they started explaining and i passed out because it was so much coming, you know, we're there for Carl and poor old Carl's patting me going, come on, hon, like, it's all right, like, we'll be okay. And I'm like, oh, sorry, I'm so sorry. And I'm looking at the oncologist, I'm, I'm so sorry, I know I'm not the patient. And But it was because exactly that, yeah. so much information was coming in and my job was solely to keep this man alive. Yep. And his job was to get better. That was all his job was. Mine was to organise everything, keep you alive, keep Lucy watered. That was what we were doing and... She's, like I said, Luce is amazing. She is an exceptional human who we told her at the start, dad's got a few bugs in his tummy. You know, she's six. She was in in year one, early year one. So she'd only just come out of kin. She was just little. And, you know, I teach six-year-olds. So I look at them every day and think, you know, how am I going to do this? So we started off saying to her, look, dad's got a couple of bugs in his tummy. We're just going to get some medicine. We're going to see how that goes. And, you know, we'll let you know what's going on. And two hours later, she came back to us and said, dad's got cancer, hasn't he? We're like, oh, okay. Radio. Here we go. You'll know everything like a proper adult. And we had always treated Lucy, she's an only child, quite adult. So, and Funny that when you guys met her, you were like, oh, she's going on 21 because <laughs> seriously, she is. Yeah. Uh, but we just started that journey with and we told her exactly what was going on. We would explain, okay, dad's going to chemo. This is what's going to go on. And the first sort of two or three we didn't want her to come to. And she was like, no, I'm, I'm coming to chemo. I want to see what this is all about. So she would come to chemo and entertain all the, the crowd at chemo. And so she ended up making friends with some of the people that we were on the same rotation with. You sort of, if you've ever been in that sort of cancer space, you sort of go on a rotation of two or three weeks of your treatment and you see the same sort of people. So they become a bit of your crew and uh, she knew them all and all the nurses and she knew which nurse she could go to get lollies from and that sort of stuff. <laughs> so, no flies on her. Ah, uh, no, nah, not mm. that one. Uh, so she would, she would do that and it was good for her because she also had to process this issue and... So we did a lot of counselling. Lucy and I did counselling before Carl died to sort of process what was going on. And we started our grief process the day that he died. Uh, Not the day he died, the day he was found diagnosed. And that's where, I suppose, going back to your intro, I always think there's someone worse than us. 
That's very, very true because we knew what was going on. So we could plan a lot of things. We could put things in place where I know other people and they've lost lost loved ones and it's been instant and they don't, they don't have what we have. We are so incredibly fortunate. We have last family photos where, and they're good family photos where Carl looks semi-normal, sure. yeah. not the skinny man that he went out at. Yeah, yeah. You know, he looks relatively good. He looks sick, but relatively good. We've got videos. He and I'd asked him to. I asked him to write a letter to Luce mainly. So, you know, when we got into the the last part of his journey, we we knew what was going on. Like we knew this was on its way down. Yeah, we weren't we weren't going to make it out of this lot of hospital. We've been in and out a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, being that rare cancer was hard to treat. We'd been to Melbourne. We've been flown back and forth. He'd had a stint just before Christmas, and I knew that stint that the doctors got him well enough to get him home for Christmas so we could have Christmas. We were going back. Like there was, there was just, he really shouldn't have come out, but they did what they did for Mm -hmm. us and eternally grateful because that man loved Christmas. Like if you knew him, you'd be like, as if Carl Jacker, that blokey bloke loved Christmas. Like he was. Just got into it. uh, Oh, he's a freak of Christmas. Loved it. Decorate the house with me. Every day you had to watch a Christmas movie, but you couldn't watch it until the 1st of December. Yep. Uh, you had to have Christmas ham on the 1st of December. You weren't allowed to buy it beforehand. Like, had to then, and then you couldn't have it any other time of the year. Only that December period. Like, it was an absolute mm. nut job on it. Loved it. Mm. You know, loved the ugly sweaters, just the whole. <laughs> and you would just think, as if that bloke loved, but he did. We did, yeah. And he loved the magic that came with it, particularly with Luce. Like, Luce made him – he was a great man beforehand, but, oh, God, having a daughter made him a great big softy, and I loved it. It was just beautiful, beautiful. But that last couple of weeks, we, we were fortunate in the fact that I was grieving because I knew what was coming. Can I just ask there, though, yep. how did you grieve – did you grieve with Carl or I'm just trying to understand, mm. yeah. obviously you, you grieve from first diagnosis, but how could you do that with Carl? Like how so, did that look? That looked like planning a funeral. So there was a lot of tears shed, a lot of tears shed together. And a lot of people don't know, but we kept it as I was off meeting a girlfriend. That was the that was our sort of code. Oh, she's going for lunch again. And Carl and I were like, yep, yep got to go to lunch because this girlfriend wants to see her. And because he died over school holiday, so obviously I catch up, I become a human again and catch up with people in that time. And so that wasn't unusual for me to go do that, but he would send me on a mission. So it'd be like, can you go see the funeral director? Yep, radio. So I'd go and see the funeral director and he'd have a list of things that, all right, I need to get this sorted. We need to find a venue. Um, I want everything ready. So when it happens, and that was his way of, it was one of his last sort of gifts to me to he knew help I was gonna, you through that process. Yeah, yeah. he knew, which that, is an amazing thing to be able to well, do. The, yeah, it was, and that's why I say he's such an amazing human. He knew it was going to be tough, but if we could do all this stuff beforehand, oh, I don't know how people do it when it's sudden. Uh, I don't know how you plan a funeral. I don't know how you get your life because we pre-planned it all. Yep, and. It was, I felt like I went to stone as soon as he passed. So I can only imagine what. Um, 
planning a, a funeral yeah. and a passing. Yeah, it would be like if it, it was sudden. Yeah. So I would go and I'd see the funeral directors and fortunate and unfortunate because, you know, gosh, he t- touched a lot of lives. Like there was over 3,000 people at his funeral. And unfortunate, I was like, where do you hold a funeral when mm-hmm. you think? I think there's going to be a few people coming, but you just don't know. Like, no, you don't. I was sort of like, oh, I, you know, there'd, there'd be more than a thousand people. You've been a bit of a footy, I, I classy, a bit of a footy slut. You'd been to a few clubs. <laughs> You've done, you know, we counted up 12 in the end. But you still <laughs> wonder who's going to come. That's it. And you sort day. of think, oh, you've been to a few clubs. So what if like 10 people from each of those clubs come? And then I was like, you know, rather Glenn, that's, you know, 500 people sure. in itself. Yeah. So I was like, Fire out, where do we go for that? And he's not a church bloke at all. That was one of his things. Don't you dare bear put me it, in put a me church because it'll burn down. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and he's like, I haven't been good enough to go there. And I'm like, well, yeah, as your wife, yes, there's a few times <laughs> I was pretty cranky at you coming home at whatever time you came home, drunk as a skunk. And, you know, I'd <laughs> plenty of times mm. I'd had photos of him passed out. So I was like, there nah, that's not you. So we discussed going to a footy oval because it was so him. That was his life. Yep. That was his life. We met at Lavi Sports Club. Like he was the he'd been at Lavi for a while as mm. a new netballer, and you know he had a bet to see if he could kiss me, and what? Well, sure enough, he won the bet, and <laughs> you know, fourteen years later, we're still going strong. So we ended up. I said, "What about if we went?" to Lavi, like, what's that? He's like, yep, no, I'm happy with that. So then the next day he'd have another plan, right? Can you go and sort out where is everyone going to go for a drink? Like, it's important we have a drink. I'm like, yep, all right. And he goes, and I want just egg sandwiches. I'm like, what? And he's like, you know you go to funerals? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, egg sandwiches, they're always the first thing to go. Like, everyone wants an egg sandwich. Like, he's right. Sounds like a <laughs> he's really time. right. He's, cricket? Did he play cricket? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I was. That's an example. I used thing. to laugh and call myself a cricket widow in summer mm-hmm. <laughs> because he was at cricket. And I was like, I'm not going to watch that. It's too odd. Mm. <laughs> like, why would you stand in the field, forty degrees, and wait for a ball that you may not ever see? That's right. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but that was his thing. So I ended up. And then I was like, far out. Where do you go with a lot of people? So. Then I'd go down and ended up going to the SSNA club, which is one of the favourite places. He loved going to the locker room, so sort of made a natural fit. So I'd go down there and talk to them and say, okay, this is, can you do this? And they're like, we can do anything. Like, yep. And I said, can you make lots of egg sandwiches, please? <laughs> and they're like, what? And I'm like, just please. That's just. what he wants. And they're like, okay, you sure? that? And I'm like, yes, this is what he wants. And they're like, okay. So there was... I don't know how, I didn't even get an egg sandwich, that's the thing. <laughs> I remember getting a spring roll, but I don't remember ever getting one up. of those egg sandwiches. Yeah. And he would send me off and the only thing, and he planned everything he picked out. Every reading he picked out, he didn't want songs, he wanted his AFL footy, let's say the Hawks played, so he <laughs> wanted no, he just, he said, I hate going to funerals, they play those sad songs, like, that's not me. It and, should be a celebration of yep, life. of his life. Yep, yeah. and he... And it was even to the fact of, I said, oh, you know, what about photos? Like, and he's like, well, I want two slideshows. I'm like, okay, why do you, what's the purpose of two? And he goes, well, you know, I'm a bit of an animal. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> he goes, so I want, you know, social Carl. Right. So they would be all photos of social Carl. In, and I loved it because 
the whole time I cracked up laughing because I'd put it out on our Team Jacker Facebook page and said, look, any social cars and the, you know, the little fingers of a social car would come out and they, they were hilarious because. And the upside to having that in amongst a group of friends is that they also feel like they're part of that journey as well. Absolutely. That's when I was with him then. And that's when you guys all went and came to ours and we did this. And and that's a really, really fun recollection. And it was, it was so great. And, you know, I laugh because there was times in those photos where he was passed out and everyone was around him going, woo! (laughs) And there's Carl passed out looking. But that's what people, they loved him because he was so social. and And part of your grieving journey at that time yeah. is him having you do all those little jobs yeah. to take your mind off it, hey? It was. It was, I was grieving what we were about to lose, but it was his distraction to say, just get all this done because I know you're not going to be able to cope. I know this is going to be hard. So I I go off and do that. And then he had his, he wanted a family, you know, family slight. And that was the beautiful part. That was the part where you got to see him as his family man. You got to see him with... His family, when he was growing up, you got to see him with his mullet in Val Rannell with his blonde hair and you got to see all that part of him. And then you got to the part where it was us. And, you know, because I met Carl when I was 19, turning 20 and he was uh, 22. So we were really young when we, we met each other and we got married really young as well. So it was a big part of his life, the two of us. And then you get to the beautiful moments where you see him with Luce and you know, there wasn't a dry eye in the house by the time you got to that one. And Trav did all of our, so he did all of the, the photo slides. And when it got to, to the Lucy section, he played Lucy in the Stars with Diamonds. <laughs> and it was just like, oh, geez, Trav. Out comes the out, There was like again. a flood. Yep. Absolute flood. That's our man, Travis Cartwright, too, for yep. anyone wondering who, who we're talking about. That yeah. flood. <laughs> Yep. Of emotion when yeah. that happens. It's a great release. Isn't it? It's, you know, and like I said to you before, I felt like I turned to stone the moment he passed because it's, you just, you're numb. You don't know what to do. There's no handbook. There's no one saying, all right, Christy, on day three, you do this. There's, there's no, there's nothing. And even though, like I said to you, I'd, I'd done a lot of research before he passed to, Okay, what am I? How am I going to support Lucy? Because that was my number one goal. It wasn't myself; it was Luce. So gone from making sure Luce was still alive and Carl was alive to you are my sole purpose in life. I need to keep you alive. Like, how do I look after you? You've just lost your dad. Like, I can't imagine. Like, I have. And we're my- not born knowing how to grieve like that, and no. nobody can teach us that until no you've one. been through it. No. And certainly, to have Lucy there to to give you that purpose yeah. has been. Oh. Like you said before, she's astounding. Yeah. You know, and, and, and we all know people that have been, well, everyone goes through grief. And oh, it's yeah. silly not to say that we you know, all know people, but personally, when you watch people go through who don't have a purpose afterwards, yes, you think, wow, how can I help there? How can they get through that? Where do they go? And that stone you're yes. talking about can either reflect itself back into self-destruction yes, or try to find the positivity that you're talking about, which can come and will come. Yeah. Just when, who knows? And, you know, like I'm not going to sit here and say I didn't do things that I probably should have done because, you know, you just don't know. And there were times, Mm. and I remember out at Rutherglen, again, like I said, they are the most amazing people in the world. 
And I always felt safe out at Rally Glen. Like I went and Carl passed and I still went back and I played netball. And I remember one night I got I got so drunk. Like, And people do that. Like I'm not going to shame anyone because all I wanted to do was escape. I just didn't want to be me anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I felt like I had lost me, like that sparkle about me. And I remember I got incredibly drunk there and they looked after me. Like they they even rang my mum. My mum came to Rutley Glen and picked me up. You had your family up. around you. I had my family to Extended look around Extended family. Me. Yeah. Yep. And they looked after me. But, you know, there was time and that was grief. That was not. Not you. That wasn't me. Yeah. That was me just wanting to. I just escape wanted to escape. Fair word. I wanted yep. to not be me. I actually didn't want to be Lucy's mum. Um, and that's not because I didn't love her. It's the pressure that's on all of the time because you haven't had an opportunity to just have that massive exodus of of, yeah. you, of the feeling of grief to get out of you. Yeah. Uh, that's a really weird thing to say. But yeah. um, if you're building that inside yourself and up and up and up and up, yeah. it's destructive in itself. It is. And I felt like it was because I had held myself together because I had to be strong mm-hmm. and I had no choice. This is the thing. In grief, you don't have a choice. And I've always been one of those people, you've had a choice. You choose what you do. You choose, you know, attitude is a choice that, that was Carl's motto and I just, oh God, it's ingrained in me because every day we wake up and we choose to be happy. We choose mm-hmm. that we are alive and we choose to look at our life in a happy way and that, yep, <laughs> bad things have happened. But goodness, there's worse that could happen to us. And so we choose that. And I think at that point in time in my grief, I had held myself together for so long, so long, just being Lucy's mum, going back to work. And I had started a new job, which good thing and bad thing. because totally- And you just started that job, hadn't you? Yeah. So um, I was meant to start the day before Carl passed. I was meant to actually start. Yeah. He passed on the Saturday and Lucy went to school on the Monday and she wanted to go to she school. She wanted to go. Yeah. She wanted to go. We had been working towards this, going to this new school because that's where I had got a promotion to. So we were both going to this new school and her choice was to go to school. She wanted to go to school. So I took her to school <laughs> and, um, and it was great. You know, by the time recess hit, she had organised everyone. She had a new basketball team and she was running the school, which... <laughs> <laughs> Did not surprise me once. <laughs> this episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing. This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing.